Welcome to Kites and Strings, the podcast about creativity. My name is Steve Plume. My co-host, Catherine Shinnock, and I are both art therapists and licensed clinical professional counselors, in addition to being creatives. In this podcast, we explore creativity, paying particular attention to the tension so many people experience when trying to live a creative life. We liken it to that which is present between a colorful, artful kite and its stable, grounded string. Along the way, we interview fabulous guests who have found their own success living their creative lives. And before I get to introducing our guest today, let me nag at you a little bit about visiting www.patreon.com so that you can look up Kites and Strings. A pledge of just a few dollars a month will be such a nice gesture and it will help us keep the lights on, so to speak. Today we talk with Leanne McClurg-Cambrick. She's a ceramicist and the work she does in clay is excellent. At the end of all this, we're going to point you in the direction of links where you can check out her work. And we're even going to start off today exploring her work and about clay as a medium. Later, we're going to discuss another passion, teaching a college-level course on creativity. You see, Leanne is also a professor and head of the BFA-MFA art program at Governor State University. So here we go, interesting stuff, and the string-grabbing and kite-flying of Leanne McClurg-Cabrick. You're a potter, a ceramicist. Yeah. Um, what, is, what is the correct name? Potter, ceramicist, is it? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no big, I'm, not, I'm not offending anybody if I call somebody a potter and no. they're like, no, I do only hand build. Well, I mean, I think it's all just what your definition of being a potter is. Like, I do make hand built pots, but I still see myself as a potter. I just don't use the wheel as my primary tool. Although okay. I began as a wheel thrown functional potter. Okay. Just over time, the art part started to take hold over the util- utility part. So. Oh, that's that's an interesting thing, right? I mean, because when you think of pottery, you talk about functional art and then the art part mm-hmm. taking over. Then you're making, basically, you're using it for just art. It's creative. It's My work definitely, you know, there's kind of a difference between utility as being something that doesn't require a lot of attention to the body. It just sort of fits in seamlessly. And you think mm-hmm. about your classic diner mug or corral yeah. dish, you know, they, they function great, but the utility is what's primary. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I have a hold on the sculptural world as well. And so they're still functional. They may mm-hmm. not be super utilitarian, but they're functional and they sort of challenge the body and um, the viewer to kind of interact with them in a more active way. Yeah. You know, a fat handle versus a thin handle can be more attuned to being physically present with the work and not having it disappear like in a purely utilitarian dish. I think that's such an interesting concept, the way you explain that. The idea that you're interacting with this piece and you're experiencing it as, like you said, you're going to have possibly a very fat handle just to make somebody Mm -hmm. say, look, I'm holding on to a fat handle mug. Yeah, yeah. The the same way a visual artist would say, I'm going to throw in a huge splash of color here because Mm -hmm. I want to draw some attention to this. Yes. But just pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And some of that is just trying to make the everyday special. And, you know, we all have to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Styrofoam boxes or, or handmade dishes. Just trying to elevate the process of 
eating and drinking, whether it's alone or with others as a form of community. Ceramics was my like gateway drug into art in high school. <laughs> my, my freshman year of high school, I had to take a study hall. And then the second semester, they're like, you don't have to take study hall anymore. What do you want to take? We've got like ceramics and like, I don't know, some other weird thing. I'm like, sign me up. And ever since then, it was like there. But it's it's hard. It's hard to do it because of the the process of firing yes. and, and it's messy and takes up a lot of space. And in New York, so I'm in Brooklyn, in New York City, the ceramic studios are so hard to get into for a class mm -hmm. because yep. they are immediately booked. And I have found yeah. a place that just opened. It's amazing. And so I'm getting back into it and hearing you speak. I'm doing a wheel throwing class. It's it's just really interesting. I was putting handles on mugs last night mm -hmm. and now <laughs> I want to go next week and be like, I'm going to make the skinniest <laughs> handle I can and see if it works. Now I'm going to make some fat handle. Um, You're going to yeah. wrap them in yeah. barbed wire. <laughs> That's not fun. That's My coffee's a priority, man. Okay. I don't want to have to kill myself to get to it. I try to practice the Hippocratic Oath and pottery, you know, like the first do no harm, right? Yeah. <laughs> don't cut anybody on it. <laughs> exactly exactly well it's interesting though right because i'm i'm making this purely functional stuff and i had not thought about it until you just said it coming home and eating dinner out of a bowl that i made versus like you know the bowl from crate and barrel each like bite of food that removes food from the bowl exposes more of the glaze and i'm really in, into like just mm -hmm. different textured glazes and interesting glazes not like flat solid color glazes and it, it creates a whole different experience mm -hmm. in like just eating mm -hmm. right and so something that is so utilitarian you can engage with it more when there's intention in its design yeah. and it's not designed to disappear. I'm challenging everybody now to think of their favorite mug and why they love it. And, and I'm thinking of mine. I like that it's fatter at the bottom and it's narrow at the top because it helps keep mm -hmm. heat in. But yeah. I also love that it has this really nice place for my thumb to rest. On the top. <laughs> right, right. It's not just a visual thing. You get to literally you know, run your mouth or your fingers across it and investigate it in that way and feel what it's giving you, not just as a, a visual. I love digging into the idea of truly engaging and experiencing art. And I think ceramics is such a perfect example. Up next, we explore Leanne's gateway drugs. So Catherine talked about when she got into, yeah. into just art and, and ceramics being the gateway drug for her. Yeah. Um, when And I, I'm, I know, I'm confident that Catherine played around with arts before that. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> when did you first realize, damn it, I'm a creative person? <laughs> or not, you know, not maybe not damn it, but that that is like I'm a creative person and this is something I need to follow. So my initial like gateway drug, I guess, was actually music. And I was um a mm. singer growing up and music was mm. sort of my first house of finding the being creativity because my voice was the vehicle of which I communicated. Mm. And my mom was uh, decided to go back to school older um, and get a BFA. So I was probably around eight or nine and I just started tagging along while she was at the studio. So I got like early exposure to art in a day-to-day -day basis, but I never thought that I was an artist. I was like, that's her. I do music. <laughs> and you saw them as two separate things, oh, right? Totally. The and I mean, there's some overlap, but there's a lot of differences in how they exist mm -hmm. in the world and then it wasn't honestly until I was a 
the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I um, was fortunate to go on a trip to nine different countries. Um, I should mm. preface to say that I grew up in Alaska, so I was kind of cut off from a oh, lot wow. of the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, my viewpoint of the world was. <laughs> um, so I got to travel to Europe and what was then um, the Soviet Union, because uh, this was 1990. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> when the wall was coming down it had come down a month prior wow Uh, but i got to see a lot of art and i got to sort of have that full body experience that you can have in front of an artwork where like i had goosebumps and just felt nauseous when looking at like real art (laughs) in museums that i just didn't have exposure to yeah and i came back to my senior year having a lot of extra credits that i didn't need to fill academically so i ended up mm. taking art uh, on top of my three choir classes <laughs> 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 it's like my senior year i got straight a's but if you understand what was there it was like <laughs> leanne i think we had very similar <laughs> senior year of high school experiences like i think i had one academic yeah. class <laughs> wow i think now i could have just graduated early but it was also just like so much fun for me to just be able to do yeah. that stuff and then That led me getting both an art and music scholarship my freshman year of college. And inevitably, I just had to decide um, that year which I could take on. And so um, I ended up uh, choosing art and I transferred. I went to a school in Utah my first year and then I transferred to the University of Minnesota my sophomore year and took a wheel throwing class and became obsessed. (laughs) And like you just get bitten by something. I spent like easily 40 hours a week that first term just trying to figure out how to make the wheel happen for me. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, I want to dig into that, but I do want to back up just for a second. Growing up in Anchorage. Yes. I'm thinking of what is the Michelle Shocked song? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Anchored down in Anchorage. Exactly. I mean, growing up, you had, you didn't know any different, I'm guessing, but when did it become aware to you that man, I'm in Anchorage and there's nothing (laughs) nearby. I mean, I always understood the isolation, which was probably why at 18, I was like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) Just sort of like growing up uh, in a small town. It's not necessarily small um, per se, but it's the largest um, city in the state. But you're so far removed from anything else that culturally is supposed to be significant so it's the only city within forever yeah I mean you have to fly anywhere (laughs) so you know I always had a interest in travel and traveled quite a bit when I was younger but didn't um I just didn't want to stay I I go back and visit but I just it's a very beautiful and dramatic place and I'm incredibly fortunate to have grown up there but I never want to move back (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense yeah and then it sounds like you you had at least your mom was pointed in a creative direction Mm -hmm. I mean she was as an adult directed to get a a fine arts degree and it was like for her you know she had grown up she was told that she wasn't allowed to pursue that um, for a lot of you know, practical reasons. I think it's hard for some families to encourage people to go get an art degree. It feels very economically risky and mm-hmm. it's a difficult world to thrive. Um, so she had had it kind of on a bucket list of things to do that she went back to do. Yeah. Well, 
you got to see that get fulfilled. And I'm just imagining, you know, a little kid in a studio and and, well, little kid, like Mm -hmm. nine, 10, tween, whatever. But you're at the age where you're like, okay, this is, I'm figuring out who Mm -hmm. I am. And to see your mom doing that, I think that probably had some impact it did yeah i mean i can't say that i i was not like a child prodigy i did not like really enjoy it that much i just was Mm -hmm. like you know shoved in the corner with a pencil and paper and kind of doodled around like you know i made little clay rats it wasn't like genius (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you engaged with art like a child yeah which i I think there's so much value in that giving kids giving people these like tools to explore whether you make something that's high art or not doesn't matter whether you make something that you even judge worthwhile or not doesn't really matter I think it's the process of exploration that moves people in some way shape or form well and I would say like one difference for me is that a lot of my students come into art because they got a lot of praise early on from a a passion or desire Mm -hmm. from doing it Um, And I just didn't have that. Mm. And it wasn't until that senior year where I really just sort of exploded creatively and kind of had an aha moment or or got it, like what what the whole purpose of making art was or or how to practice it in a way that was satisfying. What what is the purpose of making art? For me, you know, it's really about communication, both in trying to understand myself better to try to get out what's in my head. I um, use a couple quotes. Um, How do I know what I think until I see what I say, which I believe is Ian Forrester. Mm. So we can get caught up in these hamster wheel inner dialogue conversations with ourselves, Mm -hmm. but we don't really get a chance to understand ourselves fully until some of that is out there in the world and we have a chance to reflect on it. And so art for me has become that ability to know myself better by getting out things that are in my head out through my hands. I'm so behind that idea and thinking that way. I often think of how our brain is kind of structured, right? Where there's the the one logical science side that we can sit there and spin around in. Mm -hmm. You called it a hamster wheel. Yeah. And I think it it feels like that you're spinning around. If I did this, I should have done that. And, and until You've run it through the other side of the brain, the expressive brain. You turn it, even if it's just speaking a sentence, right? How many times do we say something? We're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I mean because we've now said it. We do focus a lot on mental intelligence, but we have a physical intelligence too that is often very powerful and we don't know how to respond to it until we see it. You know, my body knows things that my brain my logical brain doesn't or isn't Mm -hmm. wanting to process and when I work especially um, in clay is such a reactive material to the body and so it will very often reveal things to me that I don't know until maybe a year from now (laughs) you know like yeah I Mm -hmm. see it and I can digest it but I really don't comprehend what it is I'm telling myself until a certain distance has passed. And then I'm like, okay, now I got it. <laughs> my body knew before my brain did. Yeah. I, I think of body and brain as speaking different languages and that we depend so much on the language of the brain. The body knows 
more soon or faster in my mm-hmm. observation. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you were just saying. Yeah. And our brain just doesn't know how to understand it, doesn't know how to to decipher it. We live in a, a society that values that intellectual intelligence mm-hmm. so much yeah. and doesn't trust the intuitive or the emotional knowledge that we hold in other ways. Um, and I do think that art is such a beautiful way to express that intuitive knowledge mm-hmm. and a- allow it space for for its voice. I think humans, they overvalue that big brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we somehow think that we apply reason and logic to everything. But when you boil it down, no, no, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of that is just processing our past. We don't really quite grasp that until it happens to go reminds me of something that happened years ago you don't really make that connection until you can get it out of you and and Mm -hmm. see the Mm -hmm. um, connection Mm Yeah. Yeah. Having that, that uh, perspective, just a little, a little bit more. And when you're saying, once I get it out from me, it's like, it's, if I hold my hand right up on my face, I can't see my hand, but Mm -hmm. if I pull it back a little bit, then I can see it. And just having that distance is such a powerful, powerful resource. I mean, Steve and I are both therapists and I think that's, that's what a therapist does is we, give you some distance or you say what you're thinking right. and I'll say it back to you. And all right. of a sudden you're hearing what you're saying. Right. We hold up the mirror. Yeah. For me, then the art object becomes the mirror and yeah. not only for me, but then for other people who look at and yes. own sort of inference as to what I was thinking or concluding from that. And um, that's where I think it comes back to communication. Cause it's really like, about me allowing myself to know myself better, but also um, other people to be better selves through the work better. Yeah. It becomes a sort of transient vehicle between you know, the three of us. Uh-huh. Well, and, and we're talking a lot about as done by people that fall under that bubble or they define themselves as artist types. But I think that you're also... Um, talking about and I, I think in understanding sort of well the, the curriculum that you've created and stuff there's creativity that comes out in all sorts of ways totally. and by helping people tap into that understanding that there is a the creative like explosion I think as you referred to it once I think in your senior year how many people never experience their creative explosion or they they don't they you know they experience it they kind of dismiss it as you know, not important. Well, and I think some of that is both because, you know, society kind of afraid of that creative outlet, right? To not pursue it in some sense because it's not economically viable. And we have this sort of capitalist mindset of like, we got to be able to make some money off this, right? So mm-hmm. there can then be this tendency towards um, being um, a huge critic to ourselves about our ability to be creative and that stops Mm us um, and fear stops us because we think oh well what happens if I'm really good at this then I'm going to have to reshuffle all my life (laughs) 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 you laugh a little bit but if you you have been a ceramic Mm -hmm. studio you know that like 
client in particular is very community based um oh, and yeah. you see people come to it like it is um it just are like oh i have to be here all the time now and their whole yes we censored totally when i was in art school when i was there late and which was often i mean this is the funny thing about art schools like friday nights we were in the studio often as opposed to out at the bars but the room I was in the most was the ceramic studio. I loved it. Yeah. And I think you you spoke to it. That's that community. Everybody's mm-hmm. connecting. Um, you need a studio. Printmaking might be second in that it's high process and you need the equipment and there's some community involved there too. But you know, not to sort of say that there's like camps of different mm-hmm. mediums and materials, but yeah. painters can paint anywhere. For those of you who've not experienced a ceramic studio, it's like a beehive. And having done some printing in college too, I've seen a printing studio and I see it as being beehive-like as well. I remember Fibers artist Amber Roper, who we interviewed in season two, she said the same of fiber art, sharing how looms and fiber studios are situated in circles so folks could connect. Up next, we dig in a bit about the tactile. I mean, they're certainly focusing when you're making clay and you're doing things with clay, but it feels a lot less like you're putting blinders on. Just the, the feeling I get when I've painted, it feels like I'm so focused on this painting, this square and fr- this rectangle in front of me or whatever, that it's almost like I have blinders on mm-hmm. more so than if I'm in a, a ceramic studio. And maybe that's just me and my observations but it sounds like it might Mm -hmm. not be just me well it's physical touch right you are having a a constant sensation of touch that is keeping you going which is not again just a visual thing right so there's a tactility to working with clay that i think people just want to keep touching it over and over again not that paint can't give us that too but um but there's a you know you have the distance of the brush right yeah Yeah. Yeah. oh that was cool we both said the same thing at the same time (laughs) because i'm I'm just sitting here too thinking about in that touch in that moment and we've you know they 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 played on it in that patrick swayze film right right. (laughs) there's that vulnerability you're there touching something it's wet it's it's there's almost a vulnerability in there you're in public with people um, you know, you're in, in a community. It's direct, right? I mean, that it is hand touch, right? It's direct. So you don't have another tool in the way, like the brush. It's literally just your hand and clay. I think we can also um, have this great connection to history through it where I can look at pottery that 5,000 years ago and still mm-hmm. see someone's fingerprint right there and go, that was their hand touching it right there just like I do and you can get a real connection to your purpose and being and longevity just by that sense of presence and I'm even thinking too of jumping into music why I like the guitar and the string touching that string and vibrating that string Mm -hmm. as opposed to pushing play or something on a computer yeah one thing you know about like how I see music and ceramics in some sense is being really opposite um, in that how they live right so that music is is um, very ephemeral it happens and it's gone right even if we Mm -hmm. sing the same song yeah a recording is only as good as the technology that it's recorded on right so it doesn't have that sense of permanence where I can pick up a cup that was made 10,000 years ago and it's still the same mm-hmm. cup. Yeah. And it could break. And um, that 
may lose some of its um, utility, but we can glue it back together and still see that sense of um, permanence through it. Interesting. Interesting. So I, I, I think these are such interesting conversations and I love how we can kind of, we've, we've experienced these materials. I mean, each of us have done these. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that haven't, or they, they don't allow themselves to do that. And, and I wish, I wish they did, but you know, um, <laughs> maybe they will find their explosion sometime. The oldest clay pots found to date, I've looked this up, are said to be 20,000 years old, meaning they were used in the ice age. To be touching and creating clay pieces here in the 21st century and feeling a connection to history like that, so cool. Up next, we'll explore the creativity class that Leanne designed and teaches. creativity class i want to talk about that so yeah. curious the course did somewhat exist before me um okay. would, but it existed in a different way and so it was initially designed as more of a broad reach, sort of be creative on their path and just in terms of our curriculum as a whole we had restructured our curriculum a few years ago to really focus on our um, bfa students and we were bringing this mfa on board too so you want to change the dialogue that was happening in that class to match an academic art view and sort of okay. suit our majors. I think anyone can find interest in it. Has a, at this point, has a lot of angles of uh, psychotherapy <laughs> uh -huh. so branches from that position of looking at creativity research, which is not always the arts honestly we look at it more from how the brain interacts with creativity and how to get there it's mostly for majors at this point but okay. i don't think that excludes people primarily just because it does have a studio art component to it even though the class is online you do little art exercises each week mm -hmm. and there has to be some comfortability with being able to adapt and make in different ways and so this is part of the curriculum for BFA and MFA students? Yeah, BFA at this point. BFA, mm -hmm. okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. What Steve was kind of telling me about your syllabus, uh, syllabus <laughs> I, I'm sitting here and I'm like, how did this class even come into being where there was an acknowledgement or a recognition of kind of like, the? it sounds almost like it's like the philosophy of creativity a little bit? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's fair. It is fair. I mean, okay. I think it's just my own interest, honestly. Activity as a um, teaching philosophy for a long time, you can imagine being an art professor, you have to adapt to teaching a lot of different groups and both in terms yeah. of how to think about teaching non-majors. A very quick break here to bridge the gap left by an internet garble. What Leanne mentioned is that often her non-art majors are not as comfortable with the art-making element. She said that she needs to help them feel more creative or have permission to be creative. Well, how do you identify what creativity is and kind of turn off the inner critic to allow themselves to really get into that sense of um, flow? And yeah. someone who might declare themselves as an art major 
Uh, they definitely get into little ruts or camps of this mm. is who I am, this is what I make, and can be somewhat rigid in understanding their themselves are just either big background or what they have gotten um, praise for along the way. And so I think that the class is also meant to um, invite permission for people at all levels to think about themselves more creatively in a global way and give themselves permission to be versatile and agile uh, and mm. not stuck in sort of rigid preconceived notions about who they are. <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you work with the inner critic? Because I feel like that is the thing that comes up all the time. A couple things mm -hmm. that, that you've said is like people getting into the arts, whatever it is, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, um, like visual art, that there was some acknowledgement on the way that like you're good at this. So here it yep. is like I'm seeing this is a someone told me this thing that I do has value. And yeah. then I've got this voice in my head <laughs> that tells me it doesn't. Yeah. And I think the first part of acknowledging that is just seeing it, right? And so like one that in um last well, on the creative class, although we have it there too, is just going around and saying, How many of you thought you did terrible on this assignment? And like everybody raises their hand. <laughs> Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and you're like okay so we have this in common we all are our own worst critics when it comes to what we did because it didn't match what we wanted to accomplish right and like we have these very high goals for ourselves and then the articulation of that didn't happen yeah. and so i think part of it is just awareness that there's some commonality between all artists have a very intense inner critic I and mean, you know van gogh thought he was terrible his whole life <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and I, I think that like you mentioned we get in our head this picture and you you said it's like this high goal not embracing the decisions and the things that we need to do in order to try to achieve that as opposed to beating yourself up because you weren't able to make it happen exactly as how you might have envisioned it yeah well, and, you know, one of my favorite um, teaching quotes for ceramics, especially, but just life in general is a Zen Buddhist quote, which is fall down seven times, get up eight. Mm. There is no final thing. We just are practicing mm. at this. And so if you didn't like what you made, make another one. You didn't like that? Mm -hmm. Make another yeah. one. You didn't yeah. like that? Yeah. Make another one. <laughs> That's what I love about clay in and of, of itself. It's such yeah. a forgiving medium. Yeah, brutal at times because it definitely wants to fall down on its own. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the hard part, right? The you didn't like what you made, make another one. That transition right there. If I've developed yeah. a strong attachment to the thing that I've made, yes. How do I let go of that attachment and then yeah. find the inspiration, the motivation, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, to make another one? when I've yeah. had to let go of, or I've deemed the first one garbage. Well, and in the same context of just a thought, right? Like that yeah. was just a thought, let it go. That was just a thought, let it go. Well, that art object was just a thought that you had. 
and all thoughts have value, but they don't need to be the only thought you have. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's, and it's reminding me, even if it was perfect, going back to who was the gingerbread artist, Beatrice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would make these amazing. Oh, my God. Amazing <sighs> pieces of gingerbread art. And they'd be in these shows. And then a year later, she'd destroy them. Yeah. A new thought. Let something else. And I think she said that something to that effect of she can't dwell on this one thought, even no matter how good or bad it was. Let's make room for some other thoughts. Well, and that's that connection back to music, right? Which is that we don't have we don't have the ability to get stuck in that one incantation of that song right it's just going to be the next one the next one the next one right yeah it's their ceramic you know once fired once they're permanent there is a, a sense that it becomes um rigid because it is a long-lasting material smash yeah. it like another one <laughs> right I yeah mean, who wants to go to a parade that stands still right <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, yeah, get on, get on that ride and let those thoughts come and embrace them all as they come through. And it does teach us bigger life lessons yeah. about how we attach to, you know, experiences or people that um, may not be the best for us. And we have to let go and move forward. You have to say, okay, next one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think of a metaphor I'll use too sometimes is like, we, we set up a shelf unit or a curio that has all our memento, mementos in there mm-hmm. and things may happen, right? There might be an earthquake that shakes everything off of it mm-hmm. and we, and we spend, and we might see it in slow motion, everything falling and everything we get mm-hmm. so caught up in everything falling. And then in time we pick up the pieces. Some of them need to be replaced. Some of them can be fixed, but they put mm-hmm. back up there. And at the end, we're still happy with what we do. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah, happiness is a high bar, but <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right. But you might long for a piece that isn't there. But in the end, you end up being like, okay, I like this, and you've done some things to improve upon it. You know, you maybe mm-hmm. you've replaced some things. Yeah. Well, and honestly, that's part of what um, you know. If we look at some of the things that are deemed the impetus for having creativity, one of those is. Um, ever turning that into some type of advantage mm-hmm. and, and thinking about how we recover from something unexpected or yeah dramatic how we adapt and what that yeah what that recovery looks like in therapy sessions there are so many times that I praise an individual's creative spirit when they share that they're picking themselves up and adapting in life. Many give me the cockeyed questioning look, but inevitably they accept and even embrace the moniker of creative. Up next, we look further into Leanne's creativity curriculum, starting off talking about a YouTube video by Kirby Ferguson and later Flow. You start off in your curriculum and at the very beginning, it's like you have a, a TED talk called Steal Like an Artist and everything is a remix. Yeah. It's almost like you're giving, yeah. you're helping people ramp into this process. Yeah. And I think part of it is just understanding, mm, like, you know, when you're developing a class, you kind of are developing a narrative or, or a book, right? You're trying to figure out how am I going to introduce this? Mm-hmm. What What's the sort of leading um, key points you want to get people to and then what's the resolution or the takeaway from 
if you haven't had a chance to look at it, he does revise his remix every few years okay. too. So uh-huh. he always has a new mm-hmm. <laughs> take on it. Great introduction to thinking about creativity as that sort of peanut butter and chocolate moment that makes the Reese's happen. Mm-hmm. And yes. it doesn't have to be this like, you know, epiphany. Right. <laughs> it can literally just be like, I'm just going to smash these two things together and see what happens. It's a low um, stakes way to enter into the creativity world. Yeah. It's kind of telling folks that there's no, I don't want to say there's no new ideas, but there's like, everybody kind of steps in thinking, oh, I got to come up with this amazing idea that it's going to be that epiphany, yeah. that that amazing thing. And it's it doesn't have to be that. It might be just this one small connection, peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. And a lot of it is that way, right? It's like, or one thing someone was saying is that every time you see duct tape in use, that's a creative problem that hasn't been solved yet. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Opportunity. (laughs) But you do think about little tiny inventions, like the plastic tip on the end of a shoelace, like who thought to make that little hard tip on the shoelace? Cause like, think about what that thing is mm-hmm. like without it. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's such an annoying piece of material to try to thread through. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, it's, pro- it's problem solving. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing that we've talked about, about creativity being something that's just inherent in being a human is that we're constantly faced with problems and looking for ways to navigate them. And that mm-hmm. process is creativity, whether it's the tip of a shoelace or, you know, a three pound lump of clay, like mm-hmm. I have a three pound lump of clay. What am I going to like? How am I going to make it something? Right. Well, anything that's sort of the um, overwhelming potential of that it can turn into just about anything you'd like it to. So Mm -hmm. how do you choose what it's going to do or how you interact with it? Hmm. Thinking about also, uh, there's a great creativity researcher from the University of Chicago is now deceased, but, um, and I always have to pause on his name. Mihai Chixmahay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great name. That sounds really, it's really fun to hear. <laughs> um, anyway, wrote this book called Flow um, and is kind of the leading you know, researcher on that area that applies to many areas, not just art. I just did a training down in New Orleans in October about that and the clinical interview and in therapy and getting into that flow of being in conversation with somebody and allowing yourself to get into just a conversation rather than I'm doing a clinical assessment. Mm-hmm. We didn't pronounce the name as well as you did. Um. <laughs> I, know, I, I still have to hesitate and go, did I say it right? I'm not sure. It's that inner critic again going, I don't know yep. if I said it right. But, yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I agree. I think that that is, it, it hopefully pops up in a lot of places people they allow them Uh, giving people permission to be creative if they can see it applied in other areas other than just Mm -hmm. fine art and i think you know chicks mahay did a great job in terms of giving empowering people to say this is what creativity is you can see creative acts um all around you if you can view it from a different lens yeah that book has been sitting in an open tab on my computer for so long now. I, I like just looked it up. I'm like, yep, that's that's the book. Um, so no, I have not read it, but it it sounds like flow is 
the like balanced communication between brain and like body or heart or intuition, whatever we want to call that other thing that, that neither one is, is too much running the show that we can be present and, and tell me if I'm wrong on this because, but that there's something about like, like what you're both talking about that sounds like it's, it's like a beautiful merger where you're not thinking too much. You're not like, and too much, whatever the fuck that is, right? You're yeah. not thinking too much, you're not feeling too much. You're just there and present and it's mm-hmm. moving. Yeah, and I think it is about being aware and a balance of not so aware that you are um, immobilized. And so yeah. I think part of it is that you can turn off your inner critic mm-hmm. and be more present to seeing it from both macro mm-hmm. and micro. Yeah. And that you're uh, making decisions that almost seem out of nowhere that you're not totally sure how that happened but it's partly because you've freed yourself or allowed yourself to be in a space of being able to see it all more globally and then also be able to focus on refined details at the same time that you're trying to solve Mm. the problem doesn't happen all the time and mostly i would say because people cannot turn off their inner dialogue enough to be present and they can dissociate Mm. or chatter too much so how can you balance turning off your your voice enough to um, be aware of what it is you're doing with your body physically. Yeah. And, and I would imagine too, if you're the way I'm thinking of it and it, you don't really know you're there sometimes until after you've been there. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, I just had this two hour period of time where I was really just in that moment and, and enjoying it mm-hmm. and, and or enjoying it. Maybe not that's the word, but that you're, you're just immersed well, and I think yeah. part of that whole connection to awareness of it and, and, and it is about reflecting. And that's an important part of the process, mm-hmm. right? There are like clear clinical steps to creativity. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the last one is basically that you can reflect on it and have acknowledgement um, of that idea. And that stage is that part where it can feel really vulnerable mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. Fun stuff. Yeah. How long have you been teaching this course? I know you said it existed in sort of a different form at one point. Not just a couple okay. of years. It hasn't been existed that long. But like I said, it's been something that I've been interested in. Yeah. Has it been received well? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm curious what you've learned from the students in teaching this yeah. class for two years. You know, it's, it's, um, I'd much rather teach this class in person, but I haven't um, had time in my schedule to do it. <laughs> which is a whole other problem of doing too many things at once. Because mm-hmm. uh, on top of my normal ceramics requirements, I'm also um, head of the administrative duties to do. But so I usually teach this class in the summer, um, which is not always the best time to have people uh, pre- be present either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So hopefully... Sorry, a few more technical issues, but I'm pretty confident that you got that non-summer in-person classes would be ideal for Leanne. Fingers crossed. Up next, we discuss the merits of academia and the rigor it brings to the learning process. It's great that you've compiled all of these things and I think put it together in a, I guess, what is it, 12-week course or something like that? 
and the yeah in the summer it's 12 and said if we had it in the normal session it'd be 15 yeah. so it's a little more condensed in the summer yeah. and a lot of it was backed on this book that i i really enjoy but it's called wired to create mm -hmm. uh by scott barry kaufman and he uh laid out 10 things that creative people have in common and so you can kind of start from there and branch off uh, how that what does it look like to have some commonalities between what it is to be creative and he's a um psychologist if i remember i think that's right cool. <laughs> i will i will certainly look look him up more and um i i'm going to dig into a lot of your material whether i take the course or not i'm going <laughs> to look into some of this <laughs> Well, that was going to be my question. Is this course open to like people who aren't students? Yeah. And if it's not, okay. So anyone can just sign up for this. Yeah. You just have to deal with the, you know, registering. If you already possess a degree, you can sign up as a non-degree seeking grad student. You just have to pay tuition, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because uh, I'm wondering if this is something that you would ever consider offering, like, not through a university setting or a college setting. If you can't tell, like, I think Steve and I are both really excited that you're doing this. We're like, how do we get it to the people? <laughs> I mean, it is a headache, but it's also, I think the difference for me between, especially like if I compare it to ceramics, because that's probably a little more fluid for me in terms of, um, I used to run a non-academic pottery studio yeah um yeah and it's not that you can't get this information um over a, a period of time you can but academia has a sort of stick to put into you that is different than when it's a yeah. non you know like if yeah. it's not for a grade or if it's not on the schedule of like this is you're going to do this this week you're going to do this this week right there's just an intensity to it that makes it more like a pressure cooker a situation in which to learn mm -hmm. from and while that can feel maybe a little bit stifling to some it also guarantees a certain level of learning yeah. because you are forced to do it in this time frame with this assessment attached to yeah. it and in contrast yeah. to non-academic setting um it may take you four or five times longer to learn that same information because you don't have that um yeah calendar yeah it's not and it's not <laughs> yeah. concentrated yeah, yeah, yeah. possibly it doesn't have that sense of legitimacy almost yeah it can be legitimacy but it, it can also just be well rigor but um stretching um people in their um I'm blanking mental exercise right they're just trying to stretch them mentally a little bit harder a little bit faster like a yeah. personal trainer mm -hmm. like you can yeah you can definitely learn how to run a 5k on your own but if you have a personal trainer <laughs> yeah 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 someone is literally giving you the keys on how to get there in a more effective and efficient way and it requires a lot more yeah. self-motivation on the other side that is easy to get um you know, distracted or meander around because put something else in terms of priority. That that metaphor really yep. like <laughs> nailed it for me. It, it it makes a lot of sense, right? There's like the intentionality, there's the accountability, there's the the connecting that the relationship that forms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um 
So, all right. And just, all right. And, 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 you sold me. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth the work on the front end. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to ever, like, it. it is hard to go through an institutional aspect and say, oh, okay, I'm going to register. And what else do I have to do? Oh, God. You know, that I, I completely relate to some of the frustration of paperwork. It's just part of what I deal with. Right? I work for a state institution. That said, what the payout, what you get by going through that can then open the doors to other things that maybe you had sort of crossed off your list because of that initial barrier. Yeah, I, I you know I enjoy teaching non-academic classes and in community centers as well, but I definitely think there's a uh, different intention. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just have to. Yeah. We'll, we'll enroll in Governor State <laughs> University. That'll be what's next. Um, there you go. There you well, go. It's 12 weeks. It starts the second week of May. <laughs> Leanne, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. This is I, I, yes. it's fun to kind of yes. really dig in and roll up our sleeves as you do in the ceramic studio quite often, I'm sure. And, and and learn and understand and explore this stuff. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks I for having me. Really thank enjoyed you. it. Okay. You have a good one. All right. You Bye. Bye. As a person who's bounced around doing lots of visual arts, I can say that the one I landed on for the longest time and most likely going back to is clay. And for that reason, I really enjoyed our talk with Leanne. But the creativity journey that Catherine and I are on made the creativity class she teaches way cool too. Leanne's website is www.leannemcclurg.com. We'll share that and others in the episode description. Note too that you can learn more about Kites and Strings by visiting our website, www.kitesandstrings.com. And you can find us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have comments, thoughts, ideas for Kites and Strings, please hit up our email at kitesandstringspodcast at gmail.com. And if you're so inclined, and we would be so happy if you did, you can find Kites and Strings on patreon.com. Just a pledge of a dollar or two a month will go a long way in helping us keep this kite in flight. If you're unable to do that, we understand. A totally free option for helping us out is to leave positive comments and to rate us on sites like Apple Podcasts. And you can do the really easy approach by simply telling a friend, go check out Kites and Strings. It's a really cool podcast. It's that easy. Kites and Strings theme music is by Harrison Amir. And all other original music is by Purple Planet Music at purpleplanet.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Steve Plume, at Turning Stones Counseling, Inc. Be safe.